understanding that the company is not going to be able to give you everything. But if you know what the variables are you're willing to negotiate for, you will always get more. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady, President of Sales Assembly, and we are excited to bring you our program. It's brought to you by our phenomenal sponsors, Showpad, Upwork, and Motion. Leaning into Motion, they are a podcasting service for amazing marketing teams in B2B tech. They help you launch the podcasts, they helped us launch this podcast, and they essentially make the entire process from start to end professional and easy. So I highly recommend checking out Motion. You can find them at motionagency.io. That being said, I am very excited to announce our guest for today. We have Kimberly Miller, who is the Senior Director of Sales and Head of Search and Staffing for North America for LinkedIn. Kimberly, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Christina, for having me. It's a thrill. Woohoo! Speaking of a thrill, when I look back at your professional journey, the thing that we're going to talk about today is career pathing and career growth and career development, regardless of the role that you're in right now. It's how do you set a roadmap for your own professional life? And when I look back at yours, I imagine that there are so many people overall sitting right now who would love to be able to hike Everest like you have, looking at your experience at Paychex and Kapow to go going into what looks like your first CEO role at Office Love to now working at this incredible company, LinkedIn. Tell us a little bit about your professional journey and what got you where you are. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. I feel really fortunate because I've had a handful of mentors who've helped guide me in my career path, but I've always really followed a framework. And that framework was based on pursuing skills competencies. So instead of looking at it like, what's the next job I'm going to take? Instead, looking at it as, what do I want to learn? What do I want to build upon? And how I can make myself different from others in the market? And so for me, in this constant pursuit of skills or competencies has allowed me to look at roles a little bit differently. So when I left my assignment at Paychex, which was an amazing experience, I really said, you know what, I need to go after a role where I can get education, experience and exposure, specifically focusing on my financial acumen. And so having an opportunity to go to a company like Office Love and be a CEO, my objective was really how can I help develop that financial acumen and help bring the company from a pre-seed to a series A round. And so for me, that's always been really my North Star guiding light has been how I can develop a competency and allow myself to continue to pursue a career. When in your journey did you realize that you were ready to take on the role of, I mean, like vice president of sales, that's a big step. But then when did you decide, yeah, I can be a CEO, I'm ready? 
Yeah, that's great. I don't know that anyone ever actually feels like they're ready to be a CEO. I think you just, you know, take one step in front of the next and say, hey, this is something where if I have the right support structure and people who are willing to mentor and coach me, then I can take on any assignment. I felt really fortunate at the time to have a great list of mentors, coaches, and people who had been CEOs that were saying, hey, you know what, let's take your experience in the past and understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish here and know that if you're willing to work hard and sacrifice a few things, we could probably get you to a wonderful and successful position as a CEO. Wow. And for you to kind of thinking back and talking about career pathing, I think most people when they graduate college, we tell them you have to know exactly what you want to do, right? You got to pick your major in college, you got to know exactly what you have to do. And it's going to set up the rest of your life. But so many people, myself included, I mean, my major in college is like has nothing to do with what I'm doing right now, outside of the fact that I'm comfortable talking to people. And I'm, I'm speaking from having a theater degree, looking at yours with your bachelor's from Ball State in journalism, did you fall into sales? What was the next step there? Yeah, so I'm from a small town in Northern Illinois. And my parents didn't necessarily say you should go to college. They said, you know, do what makes you happy. So I actually went to junior college for two years and worked full time as a secretary, saved up enough money and finally got to go away to college. And my, I guess, the environment I was looking for was solely based on how much money I had to spend on college because I was paying for that out of pocket. And I said, well, Ball State is within driving distance, and it's in my price range. So I'll go there. You know, you're right, you go to college, no one really gives you an indication of how you should be making that decision about your career. And so, you know, I had a wonderful professor in the journalism school and thought this seems like a great profession. Maybe I could travel and get to know people. And you quickly graduate and realize that maybe this isn't the career path that you should have chosen. I was fortunate enough to have a friend who was a recruiter who said, you know, you should really go into sales. And I love the fact that in sales, the harder I work, the more money I could make. So it wasn't that I was set on a base salary and that regardless of how hard I worked, you know, I would make the same amount. Sales is really uh, pay for performance type of environment. And I liked having the control of my own destiny, knowing that if I was willing to sacrifice a weekend and prospect that I could potentially earn more. And so that was really the first step into this wonderful career path that I've been lucky enough to find. How did you find that initial first role? Yeah. So a friend of mine worked for a fully funded internet startup. This was like back in 2003 here in Chicago. And he said, you know, come on board and we'll teach you everything you need to know about selling and recruiting. And so I did the full sales cycle. So I recruited candidates and then obviously sold the opportunity to hire those candidates to companies here in Chicago. I will say that it was really more of who I knew than what I knew at the time, but I was willing to take a chance. And because, you know, I had just graduated from school and didn't really have a ton of experience, I took whatever job was willing to hire me. So it was an interesting experience, definitely not the process or framework I would use to make a decision today. But I feel very fortunate that someone gave me a chance, and I could learn so much from it. It's very similar for me when I think about my very first sales role, I sort of like you kind of fell into it and loved the idea of sort of this unlimited potential, but then just kind of fell into an initial role in financial services, selling insurance and things like that. And then I was like, okay, I really like selling, but I'm not loving what I'm selling. And then for me, you know, the leadership bug kind of bit me. And I, like you, was lucky enough to have people who helped to guide me. And so kind of diving in a little bit more tactically, I think a lot of people for that first initial job outside of college, when they land and they find themselves at a tech company in a revenue role. Whose responsibility do you think it is initially to start to pave that person's career? Is it the individual to think through it? Is it the leadership? Where do those conversations start? 
Yeah, I mean, I would hope that it would be both. I think, you know, one of my favorite phrases is we rise by lifting others. So I would hope that leader would take that person under their wings and say, hey, let me guide you. Although I can't force you into a, a future role or push you in order to be willing to learn or take on a new assignment. I think the combination of the two, giving some guiding principles or frameworks, and then the second, the person who's the recipient of that career advice, taking it, wrapping their arms around it and really trying to guide themselves into that new role makes a lot of sense too. I can share with you the framework that I tend to highlight for people that are figuring out or trying to figure out what their next steps are, if you think that would be helpful. Oh my gosh. It's almost as if we are the same because my next question (laughs) was going to be so many career conversations happen ad hoc and they're unplanned and there's no methodology and there's no process. And because of which it winds up being kind of clunky and the people who are hurt are everybody. So what framework do you kind of glom on to start this and do it right? Yeah, so I try and put the variables that I'm using in order to think about my next step in five buckets. The first is the company that I'm going to go work for. And good news is that we have access to as much information as you would possibly need about a company. For me, I've aligned myself to working for companies that are the best of the best in whatever industry they're in. It makes the process easier. And you know that you're aligning yourself with a higher caliber of individual and organization when you go there. The second is the industry. And this is really important. It could be sub-segment within an organization or it could just be industry in general. If it's something that you're passionate about, but you also believe has some stability, I think that's really important. There are individuals that will look at an industry and say, oh, selling payroll services, that sounds terrible. Yes, no one wants to grow up and sell payroll services for a living, but it is a very resilient industry with a ton of growth opportunity, which can help provide for you and your family. So look at the industry from an economic standpoint and say like, is it something that I'm interested that aligns with my core values, but also is it something that can stabilize in, let's call it a pandemic, right? (laughs) Then the third, which I think I probably discredited the younger version of myself, it didn't matter as much to me who I reported to because I thought, gosh, I have a strong work ethic. I'm going to be successful no matter who I work for. I think what I realized later in my career was that who you report to is really important and having someone that you can learn from, I call it likable leadership, someone you enjoy being with and want to be like, someone that you admire that can guide you along that journey is really important. The fourth bucket is what you're doing every day. So not all jobs are created equal. So a CEO of a company with 200 employees is very different than a CEO of a company of 10,000. Being in sales for a company where you're doing acquisition versus where you're maintaining an existing client is very different. So understand what your day-to-day work life looks like. And then the last is really everything else. And what I find so interesting is that most people start with bucket five, which is title, compensation, benefits, location. They're looking at things that I believe if you get the first four buckets right, the fifth one will work out for itself. If you're focused solely on compensation and title, and you're not focused on any of the other variables, chances are that you will be in that role for a short amount of time, or you won't see the success that others will. And so I always tell people, you know, look at these five variables and be very conscious of how you prioritize them. And remember, the more you change, the less likely you are going to have success. Do you envision ideally that you look at each of these things before starting in a new role at a new company? Or is this something that you should be consistently evaluating? Yeah, I 
I think, listen, I'm always using this to evaluate roles within my current organization or roles externally. It's hard to learn all this about a company if you just started the process with them. I mean, there's so much information about organizations today. And and obviously, I work for LinkedIn. So I would hope that people were connecting with other hiring managers and individuals so that they could build that relationship long before they ever needed a job or wanted to work for someone. And so that selection process should be I want to say almost organic and constant as you're, you know, evaluating where you're going to go next. I would also encourage people not just to think about their next role, but the next role. So, you know, almost begin with the end in mind. When I had an opportunity to become a CEO, it's not because I fell into that. I had that plan for seven years. And so I knew that I wasn't, my next role wasn't going to go from being a sales director to a CEO. I knew that there were a variety of steps I would need to take in between. And so if you know that, it gives you that North Star focus in order to minimize the number of companies that you're looking at or positions that you're willing to take or people that you're willing to work for because you know that they're going to either allow you or help you to get where you want to go or slow you down. I think sometimes people are too short-sighted, especially when they're using that bucket five, which is just compensation or title. And they're thinking, gosh, like I'm going to take this job because the OTE is so great. And they're not thinking about anything else. And then in a few short months, they're, they're disappointed about what their actual career trajectory looks like. Right. Well, and it's often because people don't have a process around this. They don't know what to look at. And so the only thing to think about is how much money am I going to be making? And am I going to have a great title that I can brag about? And like, sometimes that works out. But often you kind of remind me too, that career pathing is rarely linear. And that goes for all of these things. Like you may not be working for the same kind of company. You might not be in the same industry. Your leadership will change. The title of your role may change, which may or may not be the same scope of responsibility. And so tying to your own experience, you've gone from being a director to a VP, to a CEO, to a senior director. And this has sort of been the linear path for you. And you would look at that at paper and go, oh, well, like you're kind of bouncing around in titles. What's the deal there? And so it seems like that should always be number five, but people title hunt first. So for you, what helped to make your career path clear that this, in fact, was the way that you wanted to go kind of title agnostic? Like, why was this path the right one for you? Yeah, it goes back to that constant pursuit of competencies. So whenever I've taken a new role with an organization, I'm always saying to the hiring manager, this is my objective and what I want to learn in this experience. And so if I can gain that experience by coming to work for you in this organization, which will be a differentiator for me in the future, then I know I will take this assignment. Going and being a CEO wasn't about being a CEO. It was because I wanted to learn how to fundraise and how to raise a series. A. Like that was the pure play competency that I wanted in that experience. I came to LinkedIn because I wanted global experience. I'm the global voice of sales for our search and staffing business. I have an opportunity to travel the world and better understand how businesses run in everywhere from, you know, Singapore to Sydney to London. And that was the competency that I said, I can get this experience if I go and work at LinkedIn. I may not get that same experience if I took a North American leadership role for a, a smaller non-global organization. So if you're aligning it to the competency that you're seeking, it's easy to pick a position. I will also say that not all roles are created the same. So do you have more or less responsibility of a CEO of a business that's $20 million? Or do you have more responsibility being a senior director of a business that's $365 million? Sometimes it's the size of prize that we're not always considering when we're taking on an assignment. We're just thinking about the compensation and the size there, right? 
Yes, the reminder about not being short-sighted in terms of things like that. And you also kind of have me spinning on this idea of what I've started to call promotion fever. There's a habit in specifically B2B tech where you come into a company and you get whatever role you possibly can. And the idea is I want to pave my career path. I one day want to go into leadership. And so you have these people who are so maniacally focused on the promotion and the next steps. And it can often put a lot of undue strain on a company. Have you experienced that with a lot of younger talent coming in and saying, I'm going to join this company as a BDR. I want to be a BDR for six months. And then I want to be an AE and I want to be in that seat for a year. And then I want to be a senior AE. And then I want to go into leadership. And you have this company that is trying to keep people excited. But also if you promote people too quickly, then you have not the skill that you need. So are you seeing this pattern emerging more and more in B2B of this like promotion fever? Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that it's not just today. I think it's always been this way. I would have to say there was definitely a point in my career where being promoted was the most important thing. I also love change. So I liked the idea of starting a new role, the butterflies you get before you get that assignment. And I think that we are also a world in which people like to say, hey, I'm changing roles. I mean, if you were on LinkedIn and at any point in January, you probably had 50 or more notifications of people that starting new jobs. And it triggers a, an emotional response where people are saying congratulations and how exciting to have this fresh new start. I think if you stop for a moment and you actually ask someone how they're motivated, it'll help you align to what it is that they in fact want. And so I'll use example. Oftentimes those BDRs are people who are very hungry early on in their career in sales as I was, thought that they were motivated by money, but no one's really motivated by money. They're not going to the ATM and cashing out their check and putting stacks of cash under their pillow at night. I mean, maybe they are, but I mean, most people are probably more so trying to understand like what money does for them. Does it give you, you know, safety and security? Does it allow you to get recognition because you're driving a Range Rover and living in a big house? Does it allow you to have the ability to provide for your family? What is it that's actually motivating you? And if you can understand what that is, and you as a leader can help provide uh, direction towards what is actually motivating that person, I think you're more likely to have a happy and healthy workplace. One of my favorite books is The Happiness Advantage. And it actually says if you find things that you enjoy doing, then success will come versus assuming that like, if I, you know, graduate from college and get my dream job, I'll be happy. No, find the things that actually drive happiness for you, and then everything else will fall in place. I think that comes also from having mastery in your current role. If you're constantly seeking a new book or a new opportunity, you're less likely to find that mastery. So you'll be less fulfilled in your current assignment. Yes. And it's when people associate mastery with moving up the ladder, like it's, you know, versus I want to become the master of this job right now. And to your point, see where that leads me. It comes across like mastery looks like getting up as high as I can. Even if you think of the female perspective and just the idea that it is harder to climb as a woman, it's like you wanna grab every opportunity to physically move up the ladder that you possibly can, but you don't want it to be to your own happiness or your own detriment. So thinking in terms of how to navigate this as a leader, I see a lot of leaders who ask advice on how to keep people excited and engaged and performing well and taking the time to achieve mastery before promotion without being hit by their impatience and losing people to a company that may promote them faster, but to their own detriment. So if you are a leader who is truly wanting to do right by their people and promote them at the right time, but there is this urgency to move up, how do you balance that? 
Yeah, I think it's a great question. And of course, I think, you know, I struggle with this as well, too, because I have some amazing leaders that are extremely high potential that are eager for the next opportunity. I think if we go back and we understand what they're motivated by, if it is understanding or getting mastery in new competencies, if it's stretch assignments, if it's opportunity for compensation, there are ways that you can help them in their current role, find the things that drive happiness for them. And so I have a leader who's extremely high potential and we were in Texas and I said, you know what, like, let's just do a full job shadow for a few days. Now he's a few positions away from mine, but I thought what a great opportunity for exposure to help get him to where he wants to go or to determine if this is the direction that he wants to go. Now that's not gonna maintain him forever in his current assignment, but what it does allow is for us to have an understanding between the two of us in which I can give him more assignments that he can be learning in his current role while getting prepared for the next so that he knows when he steps into it, he will likely be successful, which is a motivator for him. And so I think sometimes people to their detriment want to go into that next role without being prepared and then they fail, which is actually the worst thing you can do as a leader is promote someone into a new role because they're so eager to leave their current role and then they fail in that assignment. And that to me would not be the route I would want to go for any of my high potential people. I'd rather them stay in their current assignment, you know, help fulfill what is driving their happiness, whether it's compensation or advanced opportunity. They can title themselves whatever they want to, but really like making sure they're successful in that next assignment is more important to me than anything else because I'm not really helping them if I'm just promoting them and then they're failing. Have you ever experienced that firsthand? Have you ever gone into a role before that you felt like you thought you were ready for that? And then getting in the role, you're like, wow, I have a lot to learn. Because I think a lot of people have found themselves in that position where they're like, I thought I was ready for this. I thought I was prepared. And now I'm in this role. And oh my God, I'm in over my head. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, this is the framework that I came up with for looking at career opportunities. You know, those five buckets came from my experience as being a CEO. I was absolutely not prepared for that assignment. And a leader that I worked for, you know, would always say to me, it's not what you're willing to do. It's what you're willing to sacrifice. I truly believe if you change assignments and you switch all five buckets, meaning the company you work for, the industry, what you do every day, your job responsibility, like everything, right? You have to sacrifice so much more in order to be successful. And so I was successful, but I sacrificed a lot in that time frame. If I had to go back and do it over again, I probably wouldn't do it because the sacrifices were immense. So I'm always encouraging people like it is okay if you like change to make a lot of change, but understand it is less likely that you are going to be successful without giving up something. And so if you have a new company, new industry, new boss, new job, like it's a lot of change. You're learning everything that new. So if you can follow a leader that you admire to a new company, do it. If you can stay within the same industry, do it. If you can stay within the same role, but move into an organization, great. So when I came to LinkedIn, the industry wasn't completely new to me, but the company was, my boss was, what I was doing every day was new, but not new as in more than I've had in the past, just different. And so I knew I could be comforted by going into a role and being a senior director because I'd been a director before. And I knew I could find success because I was familiar with the industry. So in reality, I was really just changing two of the variables, which meant I had to sacrifice less in order to be successful. This is fascinating. And I feel like it's making me think about just not only things that you as an individual person moving through your career and the things that you should think about and keeping these five buckets in mind, but also if you're a hiring manager or you're looking for people on your team, do you advise people before they hire or promote to get a gauge of that individual's amount of change, even if they're the perfect candidate, should you screen against these five things and at least have some questions around it? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
you are setting up that individual for failure if you don't call out how much change they're about to go through. Listen, anyone can be successful in any role. I truly believe that. And I think work ethic is very important to all of this. At the same time, are you really setting up someone for success, right? And what is their journey going to look like as you're onboarding them? And how long is it going to take before they actually see mastery is really important. So I think oftentimes we will take someone from where a different industry, let's say, and all four of these variables change. And we say to them, yeah, you have to be, you know, a BDR in SD at LinkedIn for a year before you get promoted. But this person has never been in sales. They've never sold a product like ours. They've never worked at our company or our culture, and they've surely never worked for this leader before. Is it really the right expectation to tell them that in a year they will have mastery and be promoted? Probably not. But if we're taking someone from a similar industry company or who's worked for us in the past, then we could probably reduce that timeline to six months right? So I think it, it's really important to consider that as you're hiring someone and really wanting to set them up for success, because that to me is the true measure of leadership is, you know, helping your people get to where they want to be with a realistic expectation or timeline. Oh, I mean, it's like, it's rules to live by. And it's about hiring smarter and setting people up. Like it's having the duality of both sides of the equation, thinking about it, but then having a conversation and just saying like, I want to make you aware of this. I feel like even thinking back to my own career, had I had more honest conversations at multiple points along the way, my decisions may have been different and I, I may have been better off. But leaning even further into something that I think is often harder to talk about and harder to nail down, sometimes change in life are things that you can't really plan for that you don't know about. Moving, getting married, becoming a mother or becoming a parent, your health, things like that those can change the answers that people may have to some of these things about, do I want to be doing this? How do you advise if I'm an individual where my life situation has changed? I mean, like maybe becoming a mother, you see that a lot where it's like, this is my goal, this is my path, and then something can change that. How do you reevaluate that as an individual and come to terms with the fact that your life may change your answer to these things and thus change your career? Yeah. When I look back at my own career, I think the things that motivated me have changed. Maybe even as much as like every few years, what I wanted for myself was different in my, you know, 20s than it is in my 40s. What I want for my family, how I see my future constantly changes. And I think as a leader, you have to be willing to have that open and honest conversation with your employees so that you're aligning their responsibilities and their career trajectory with what is motivating them at the time. What I will say though is that most women opt out of leadership opportunities because they don't believe that they can have it all. It's a study that I did with our CHRO when I was at Paychex to understand why there were so few leaders when it was less than 3% at the director level plus when I was there. And it was because the majority of women, it wasn't that they didn't earn the opportunity or that they wouldn't have won the interview process. It was because they opted out because they didn't believe that they could have it all. And I would say that I think you can do anything you put your mind to as long as you have the right support structure. And I think oftentimes we're unwilling to ask for help or have that transparency with our boss or those individuals around us about the balance that we need in our environment. And if I've taken one thing away the last 10 years from my career is that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to say no, and it's okay to be focused on, you know, what's most important for you based on what you're motivated at that given point. And it's okay if it changes in your relationship with that person you've worked with for a long time. So I'm okay with going to my boss and saying, hey, I know a year ago I said I needed to have this experience or take on this additional responsibility. You know, what's really important for me right now is making sure that my four-year-old learns how to read. 
And that means that I'm not going to be taking, you know, 20 travel, 20 trips, you know, traveling the globe in the next six months. It means I'm going to be staying at home and tucking her in and reading to her every night. You know, that's important to me too. And it's okay if it changes. I'm not disappointing my boss. I'm just letting him or her understand, you know, the new reality of the expectations and the things that are motivating me. Do you think that the flexibility there exists or should exist for all roles. And kind of where I'm leaning in there is I remember I have heard conversations before happen around should we promote XYZ individual into this next level because she's about to have a baby and I don't think that she can commit to the time that's needed. Do you feel like that flexibility of I can have it all but it needs to be the way that I need it to be? So like if I'm a BDR and now I'm a mother, I can be still the best BDR possible, it has to look different. Should that flexibility always exist? And as a leader, how do you gauge that? Yeah, it's interesting because I actually think that I had more flexibility as an IC than I do as a leader. I always share this with people. I'm like, you actually have more control over your career destiny as an IC because what you do every day impacts your outcome. What I do every day doesn't necessarily impact my outcome. What my you know senior managers and, and ICs do every day impact the success of our business, right? And so I actually think that flexibility should and does exist. I think people just have to think about it differently, right? And I think people are oftentimes afraid to ask for that flexibility. And oftentimes they believe they have to leave to go to another company in order to get it, where if they just reset the expectations in their current role, if they are performing in role, then that company should and should absolutely allow them to have that. I mean, I can't imagine saying no to someone, especially if they were a top performer. I know when I had my first child too, my boss said to me, I was very nervous about being able to work as much as I had. And he said, Kimberly, you're 10 times more productive than most people are on a good day. You just haven't recognized it before. And so you'll be able to get that, you know, everything you want to get done in your career done and also be a great mom. And if you're having a hard time with it, just ask me and we'll make the flexibility that you need to. So if you are working in an environment today and you don't have that flexibility or that support, then that's the opportunity for you to look for a new position. <laughs> That's the honest truth, though. And I'm glad that you said it, because in my experience, one, as a mother and as a wife or, you know, whatever elements of life are thrown at people, I have experienced and I have seen people willing to work 10 times harder and more passionately for a company that lets them be who they are and offers them the flexibility, trust and autonomy to continue to do their job versus the take of, yeah, I know that you're about to have a baby, but you know, you need to make sure that you're still performing and you got to do everything you did before and nothing can change. It's almost like you're not in, like that actually has more of a negative impact on people than giving them the trust to say, make this job work for you. We trust you. Like that is powerful and you will wind up having a better performer because of it. Absolutely. I'm glad you said it. And I feel like a lot of what you shared, I want to touch again on just the five buckets, because I feel like this is such simple framework that can change a company and an individual. One, thinking about what is the company? Is it a place that you want to work for? What is the industry? Is this something that you either are or can be passionate about? What does the leadership look like? Who is your boss going to be? And are they going to encourage you to grow and be better? Or are they going to be somebody that you can't work with? What does the day-to-day -day actual role look like? And do you want to wake up in the morning and be doing these things every day. And then last but not least, what is everything else? What is the pay? What is the comp? What is the title? Like, did I accurately lay out kind of what those five are? Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I would add to that is that bucket five is all negotiable. 
So I think oftentimes, so I read a book which said that women are better negotiators on the behalf of others, but not very good negotiators on their own behalf. So it says, if you ever needed to hire a lawyer, hire a female lawyer, because she's going to do a better job of negotiating on your behalf. But as an individual, oftentimes we don't ask for as much when we go through the interview process. And so bucket five, you could put 20 things in bucket five. The last time I negotiated for an opportunity, actually, I won't even use my own experience. I'll use experience where I coached one of my friends where I said, you know, you can negotiate for your start date, location, not just compensation, OTE, you can negotiate for a Soho House membership if you want to, like put anything and everything that you could ever want. Maybe it's a reimbursement for a new home office if you're going to be working from there. Maybe it's a title, understanding that the company is not going to be able to give you everything. But if you know what the variables are you're willing to negotiate for, you will always get more. So let's say you can't negotiate start date because they need you to start in two weeks. Well, you can negotiate for more time off later in the year. You can negotiate for a base salary or you could negotiate for equity. You could negotiate for, like I said, a, a gym membership reimbursement or a cell phone, new technology. Like people just think the only things you can negotiate for are, you know, your start date and base or signing bonus, but there are so many variables. And the more you ask for, the more you will absolutely get. And so for me, bucket number five is the only one that's really the variable that you can control. You're not going to be able to control the company or the industry once they offer you that position, but everything else should be negotiable. I love that because I do think that like everybody should try to negotiate something because it shows that you're being thoughtful and trying to turn something into a career versus just a job. It's a way to also show people that you care to think strategically about your next step. And like when I would hire people, I would love and learn a lot about them based on where they would focus their negotiation. Like what do you like? It tells me what you care about and how you're thinking about things. So we have learned a lot in the last bit of time together around career pathing, how and when to do it before you're at a company, while you're at a company, what to think about, whose responsibility it is, what can go wrong and things to look out for. And we've learned a lot about you and your professional life and your professional journey and steps that you've taken. It brings me to my favorite segment, which is the rapid reveal. So the rapid reveal is we've learned a lot about you professionally, but we have five questions. The idea is to answer them in 60 seconds or less and is to give everyone an idea about you even deeper. So are you open to this? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, given that you work at LinkedIn, I thought a perfect number one would be what's not on your LinkedIn profile that we should know about you? I love that question. My first job is not on my LinkedIn profile. And I actually spent the summer pumping gas in boats at a family friend's marina on the chain of lakes where I grew up. So it was definitely a, a fun job, but not one that is on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> How did you get that job? Yeah, we were in high school. We were like 15. We wanted to make some money. And my friend's dad said, here, you guys can pump the gas that goes into the boats at the marina. It was great. It was fun. You know, anytime you can spend your summers outside in the Midwest, you know, it was definitely a worthy, worthy experience. That's Amazing. Perfect. All right. Number two, and I ask everybody this because it fascinates me and I don't know why, but it does. What is an irrational fear of yours? Yeah, I don't know if it's irrational. I don't love being confined into small mm -hmm. spaces. I'm pretty short and I think I often have to take the middle seat or whatever it might be, but I really don't like being in small spaces. It's not my favorite place. Do you have like claustrophobia or is it just you get really, really uncomfortable being in there? I think just really uncomfortable. I'm just yeah. not really a fan of any environment where you're just, you're kind of trapped or crowded. <laughs> 
I mean, I would actually agree with you on that one. It is no fun. I love it. We're going to go even deeper with number three. What is your earliest childhood memory? <laughs> this actually just came up the other day. And now that I'm going to say it out loud, it might actually be related to number two. My parents built a laundry chute from the top of our house. We had like a two-story house to the basement. And I have two older sisters and they used to push me down the laundry chute growing up. And it's like this very vivid memory. I wasn't scared at the time, but I just remember my sisters thinking it was funny to put me in the laundry chute at like on the second floor of the house all the way to the basement. You land in laundry, of course, it was a soft landing. But it's this just came up the other day because I was like, I remember my sisters used to do that. <laughs> that is amazing. My grandparents had one of those at their house and we never put each other into it, but we would always throw toys down and there'd be like one at the top and one at the bottom and it's like laundry shoots. Like as an adult, that's terrifying, but as kids, we're fearless. Yeah. Like if my daughters did that to each other now, I would be furious. But right. it's like when I think about it, I'm like, I could see where my sisters did it. It was probably hilarious to shove me down the laundry chute. <laughs> right. Right. And I don't know, maybe this will lead into number four. But number four, when was the last time that you were truly angry? Yeah, I honestly don't get angry very much. I'm one of those people that wakes up like glasses half full most days. It's been a while, but last year I was traveling back from London and my flight was delayed. And you get that notification like your flight's delayed three hours. So I went and had brunch with a friend and was making my way to Heathrow when I got a notification that they had decided to only delay my flight by an hour and 45 minutes. So by the time I got to the airport, now I was late and they wouldn't let me check my bag. So I got thrown on a later flight, which was like eight full hours at Heathrow and, you know, kind of missing a day at home. So I was pretty frustrated being an avid traveler. I was flying probably a half a dozen times a month last year. I was pretty disappointed with the level of customer experience and service I had received. <laughs> Oh, man, like somebody else having complete control over your most precious asset and unrenewable asset being your time to me, that gets me as well. All right. Number five, who has been the most influential person in your life and why? Yeah, that's an easy one. He's been mentioned before in, in anything I've ever published. My dad, he is just an amazing hero of a human being. He's a firefighter in the suburbs here of Chicago, battalion chief. And he's just a great guy, funny, down to earth. He coached our little, you know, pigtail league baseball when we were growing up. And I remember the very first thing he said to us on our very first day of practice was winning is everything and losing sucks. And you think about raising your children that way now, and it probably seems a little bit foreign, but he had this, and he does have this competitive drive and spirit, but it's so fun and funny. And he just is an inspiration in every aspect. He's kind to everyone around him. He's got an amazing work ethic. And he definitely raised us to be strong-willed and believe in ourselves, which I think is such a gift. Oh, well, I'm thinking through just all of your answers. And I'm thinking about you with your sisters and growing up and playing and how that probably developed you into this glass half full kind of person and having this incredible father and strong male figure to look up to. I'm not surprised learning about you that you've been able to achieve what you have and that your kind of take on the world is to lift people up when you have the opportunity to. It's been beautiful getting to know you. And I imagine that a lot of people listening are going to want to get to know you a little bit more and talk to you about your story and your life and your insight. So now that we're coming up on time, where should people go to learn more about you and connect with you and talk to you? 
Yeah, well, this is probably the easiest question you've asked me, which is LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm always open to having career conversations with individuals. I think the best time to build a relationship with a hiring manager is when you're not necessarily looking for a new opportunity. I mentor, you know, a ton of leaders and ICs outside of LinkedIn because I think that these are the future employees and maybe I would have the opportunity to win them over someday. And so, of course, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to schedule, you know, a virtual coffee chat and then one in person when we get through the pandemic, of course. Yes, yes. Well, Kimberly, thank you again. It's been wonderful spending time with you. It's been wonderful hearing your insights and telling all of us how to navigate this crazy thing called life via our careers. And it's been wonderful having you on Taking the Lead. Thank you again. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a great day. You too. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.